0: Did the elites of the world try to control a secret nectar and keep it from the masses? And then we cover a disturbing story, a story about drug addiction and body horror. When a young couple begins smoking meth, they just use it as a supplement for their sexual activities. But soon they find the meth is not only transforming their personalities, it's melting them from the inside out, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you guys have either some cool stuff to do on the weekend or nothing to do on the weekend. Because on my days off, I like to do nothing. I just want to sit. I just want to kind of just sit and absorb media and... Not move. That's my day off. But some days, some guy's gonna be like, "Hey, hope you have a great weekend, white water rafting." And I'm like, "What? No, I don't like that." And next thing you know, I'm like, uh, "Curse you, genie." Let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Camp Counselor Steve. Camp Counselor Steve, thank you so much for supporting the show. You're going to be our pilot, our chauffeur this episode. I guess that's probably not a compliment. Hey, great! I donated donated money to this dude's show. Now I'm his chauffeur. But thank you so much. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. So Camp Counselor Steve, let's go ahead and hop in the Jason Jalopy first. We're going to take a little drive. Cars driving, little dotted line across the map. We are going to, it's a little more than a dotted line. We're in ancient China. So again, Camp Counselor Steve's like, oh man, I think I left my front door open. I thought we were just going to be gone for a minute. No, we drive all the way back to ancient China. There once was a deep kept secret that the elites didn't want us mere mortals to know. And so we're walking through the snow. We see this old Chinese dude, I don't know, he may have been in his 20s, but old as in the sense that this is ancient China. This is like 2 BC. And he's taking a bunch of snow and he's like throwing it in his backpack. He's like, I "Hope this stays snow." By the time I get down, otherwise my journey is for naught. He walks back down to the emperor, and the emperor's like, do you have my snow? And the the explorer throws his bag down. Actually, he's probably more polite than that. He's like, here's your snow. He gives it gently to the emperor, and the emperor's like, yes. This is what we must keep from the mortals. When George Washington became president, there's a little bit of a time jump there. Camp (laughs) Counselor Steve's like, What? When we just magically appeared in old-timey colonial clothes, yes, we did. When George Washington was president, he said, I want to have a lavish party. And people are writing down notes, like, lavish party. And he's like, and I want it to have the secret. And everyone's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And they all wink at each other. At the same time, a lot of confusion. People thought they were being flirted with. But no, they were like, hmm, the secret. Secret. When he died, he spent $200 on this secret concoction at the time, which would be like 5600 in today money, right? Which it really is, still isn't even that much. I and was, I was like, $200 in George Washington? That must be like $100,000 a day. And I was like, oh, just fifty six so dollars That's like a car. That's like a used car. It's nice flex, George Washington. But when he died, they found tools that he used to personally make this concoction. It had been passed down. It's not like the ancient Chinese emperor was like, hey, George Washington, here you go. It had been passed down through the ages. And at one time or another, the masses started to get just a taste of this, but it was so expensive to make. The ingredients were so rare, really. I mean, other than the snow on the mountain. It was really hard for the commoner to get it. So what was that ancient concoction? Well, my friends, bing! Now we're standing in a ice cream shop. You're like, Jason, are you just telling us trivia about ice cream? No. Well, yes, but there's two reasons why I'm doing this. So we're standing in this ice cream shop, and there's a guy behind the counter. It's President George Washington. He's been reincarnated as a soda jerk. Those are the guys who would put ice cream in stuff and then put a little soda in it. Hand it to us. So we're drinking ice cream sodas. So it's really interesting, at least to me. Ice cream. I was out having ice cream with Sabine the other day. And this is how I am. I go, I'm like, lick. mm, Lick. mm." And then I go, I wonder when ice cream was invented. Like, I can never shut my brain off. Sabine's like, I don't know. Like, probably when people had access. You would need ice, which was hard to get for a long time. Like mass shipping of ice and, you know, butter and stuff like that. And I go. Hmm. And I went home and I looked it up and I found from the from the International Dairy Foods Association. I found all this information. I found their one sided information. There's some insider. He's going to email me later. He's like, oh, you don't know half the truth and starts sending me all these diagrams. It was invented in the two B.C. And that was just basically those gross snow cones where they would take snow and then put honey on it. And they eat it and stuff like that. And it went like the Romans had it. And in the medieval ages, they had it. And it wasn't until about the 1500s that we actually had ice cream, where it was like milk. Milk was an actual dairy product. Before that, they were a bunch of losers that just had to eat ice with gross toppings on it. 1500s, they were able to add the cream and the sugar and all that stuff. But even then, it wasn't even available to the public until 1660. And it was still very expensive. Like, the chances of... There were people who lived and died that never, ever tasted ice cream. Now, to be fair there's people who've lived and died who haven't done a lot of things but ice cream just seems so normal right it seems like something that everyone should do right when a baby's born here you go entire generations died without even knowing that ice cream existed but anyway even when it did exist people couldn't get it so here's one more bit of ice cream trivia i thought this was interesting because again we talk about conspiracies right We're all at this ice cream shop. And then we're drinking these ice cream sodas. It's soda water with ice cream in it. And the door gets kicked open. (laughs) We're like, oh. And it's a bunch of religious leaders. And then at that point, we look at the clock. And that doesn't tell us anything. So we look at a calendar. And it's Sunday. And these religious leaders go, you shouldn't be drinking that stuff. And they're like knocking it out of our hands. And we're like, whoa, whoa. we We don't want any trouble, clergy. They have leather jackets. What happened was in 1874, you had the uh, religious community thought you should not drink something so rich and sinful on a Sunday. But these places were super popular. I mean, George Washington's working at one for crying out loud. That's a, that's a good sign. So people were going seven days a week to be drinking at these soda shops, these ice cream sodas. And the religious leader said, no one should do anything so sinful. And that delicious. Mm, That creamy, delicious soda. No, I must resist. I must resist. You can't drink that on Sundays. So then the ice cream, the ice cream (laughs) Illuminati got together and they go, we'll show them. They created the Sunday, which was just scoops of ice cream with syrup on them, like chocolate syrup. And that is why that's called a Sunday. Eventually they changed the Y to an E, how it's spelled today, because the religious controversy had ended. But that's why it's called a Sunday. Because it was basically a, you can't tell us what to eat. Technically, they did because they stopped serving it with the soda. The religious problem was specifically with the soda and the ice cream. So they started serving ice cream, no soda, with syrup on it. And that was called a sundae. Oh, and one last bit of trivia. During World War II. So you know this is a good one, right? During World War II, you had the different branches of the U.S. military. They had a war. They had an internal war. So not only did you have the World War going on. you have this internal war. Each branch of the military was trying to figure out the best ice cream bar. Like, they wanted to be able to serve their men, like, the most toppings available. As like, they're like, sir, sir, we need to get these fuel lines. We need to get... The Germans have blown up our transportation lines. He's like, shut up! Do we use the chocolate sprinkles or the multicolored sprinkles? They're like, ah! General Patton's slapping soda jerks. They had this huge war over who could serve the best ice cream to the point that in the Pacific Front, where we were fighting the Japanese, there was a floating ice cream bar. Now, I don't think it was just like one dude. I don't think it was like a dinghy. I think it was probably like a pretty sizable boat. I don't know if it was all ice cream, actually. They're like, sir, sir, protect the ice cream. Like, kamikaze plane crashes into the ice cream bar, just gets stuck in the ice cream. The pilot gets out and starts eating some. No, they've taken our resources. I don't know if it was <laughs> they dedicated a single destroyer to serve nothing but ice cream it's shooting out chocolate syrup. I I think on one of their existing ships they just happened to have an ice cream bar but it is true. They did each branch of the military would get in fights over who could serve the best ice cream bar. And George Washington, George Washington wipes a little tear away from his face and he goes, "I always knew being reincarnated as a soda jerk." Would make me proud to be an American once again. And he's just flown floating, floating over the Pacific. Battle planes are blowing up. But the ice cream is safe. Let's go. The reason why I wanted to tell this story is one, I found it very fascinating. I found all that ice cream stuff fascinating. Secondly, because this next story is gross. Like this next story. Enjoy your ice cream now, is what I'm saying. Enjoy your light-filled Happy memories of George Washington, transparent George Washington, serving you ice cream and your time in the Pacific eating ice cream as war is raging around you. Think about those happy memories as we move to this next story. Hey, everyone, I'm back. I'm back. I'm running around the corner and everyone's like, what? I didn't even know you were gone. You were just eating ice cream with us. I actually took a break after I recorded that story. I went for a jog. I started doing intermittent fasting. I've moved away from the keto. Because I think I've kind of hit the limit of what I can lose on that. Intermittent fasting. I only eat between noon and, and 6 p.m. I can go up to 8 p.m. as my official window. But I'm usually eating dinner pretty early. I'm jogging. you like, didn't you just eat a bunch of ice cream? That's the cool thing about intermittent fasting. As opposed to keto. Like If I want ice cream, I just as long as it's the right amount of calories and stuff. I can treat myself to some ice cream. And... Camp Counselor Steve paid for all of our ice cream, so you know we're good. I can always, I can eat as many calories of ice cream as I want as long as someone else is paying for it. Camp Counselor Steve, let's hop in that carpenter copter. We're done jogging. We're leaving behind the ice cream stand. George Washington's ghost is waving to us. We're headed out to an American city. And in this American city sits an apartment complex. We're going to land on the roof, we're going to enter this apartment complex, and in this complex we are going to meet a young couple. Hey guys, what's up? And they wave back to us. We don't have the real names of these people, so we'll call the woman Brittany, the husband Tom, and the son we'll call Barrett. So if those are the real names, it's just a shot in the dark. This story comes from a website called Arrowid, which... Before I found out, I've always had a fascination. I don't use like hard drugs, and I have used to smoke weed and stuff like that way back in the day. But I always have a fascination with drug stories, with the effects and how people are going through it. It's particularly bad drug stories. I don't want to hear about, oh, yeah, dude, I took LSD, and, and it was everything was normal. I want to hear that, right? I want to hear about like tr- really trippy horror stories, right? Horror stories involving drugs. There is a website called Arrowid, which I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with. It's a very, very popular website. doesn't seem to be as active as it used to be, but I used to, oh, dude, I used to just consume it. I was just like this, just like this monster. Oh, give me your horrible experiences. Let me eat them. Any drug you can think of, this website, it's, it's very informative and has a lot of harm reduction stuff to it. But it also has reviews, basically, right? And you guys know I love reading reviews. I mean, what's better than a Yelp review? A Yelp review for methamphetamine. So Arrowhead has all of these experiences or trip reports a lot, I I believe is the technical term. And back in 2007, there was a trip report posted on there called Skin. And I remember reading it. I don't know if I read it right when it came out, but I read it about 10 years ago. I read it a while ago. It's almost iconic. You either have read skin or you're going to hear it now. Because this, this story is 100% pure body horror. We're walking through this apartment complex and we see this couple. We see Brittany, Tom, and Barrett. We just kind of wave to them. They wave to us and they go into their apartment. It's New Year's Eve, 2006. I'm assuming they were casual drug users because if someone came up to me and said, hey, you know, meth makes sex feel really good i'd be like fine fact of the day go about my business but britney because i'm not i'm not a psychonaut i'm not someone who wants to go and explore drug use and stuff like that i'll read the reviews right i'll read the reviews but britney and tom had been hearing for a while that methamphetamine makes sex feel so much better for them they said hey let's try it new year's eve let's smoke some crystal meth and have sex, because we hear so many good reviews about it on, on Yelp. So they do. They smoke meth, and Brittany says the sex was amazing. It was just exactly what it was exactly what the rumors were. And when she woke up to go to work the next day, she had a little bit of meth left. Smoked that, went to work. But when she comes home from work, there's a gram of meth. Her boyfriend went and copped some more. And that would be the beginning of them smoking every single day for about two months. And when I say every day, multiple times a day. They may have started off just smoking it in the morning, but as the story progresses, they're smoking lots of crystal meth. By the time three weeks pass, she starts to notice something wrong with her skin. It's brittle, it's like paper almost. Now, it's not falling apart, but it just feels. Like it's lost some of its firmness. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing that's going wrong with this young mother. Her body's starting to swell. This is happening at the same time she's severely dehydrated from her continual use of meth. Because we're three weeks now of her using it constantly. Her and Tom are using it constantly. So she's extremely dehydrated. She's drinking tons of water, but she can't urinate. Or she urinates so infrequently, she realizes, wait a second, all this water I'm drinking has to be going somewhere and must be making me bloated. So she begins taking a diuretic to help flush the water out of her system. But it's not working. She's continuing to use meth. She's continuing to drink a ton of water. And every day she swells just a little bit more. And then one day she notices something when she wakes up. She kind of pushes down on her arm. It's not just bloated anymore. Underneath her skin, her muscles begin to feel doughy. Not not even really her muscles. She said it was like in between her flesh and her muscles was a layer of Play-Doh. And she could actually squeeze her arm or squeeze her leg. And she could feel clay underneath. Brittany and Tom continue to smoke meth. She's turning into a putty from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But that's not going to stop you, right? they continue to smoke meth. And then one day, (laughs) eventually at a certain point you would just stop wanting to wake up, right? Because every day she wakes up something disgusting happens. One day she's looking at her arm and she sees black little pieces of dirt on her skin. So she brushes it away, doesn't really think much of it. I need a shower. Brushes it away. But she continues to see these black dots of when she talks to Tom about it, she goes, can you check? Can you see what's going on? Like, I don't, I get the, got this stuff on my arms. I, I got it on my chest. I don't know what it is." She takes her shirt off. She asks her husband to take a look. It's on her back as well. And when he touches her, he can actually press more of this black byproduct out of her skin. Now, she has it too, she discovers. He's getting it too. Now, they had this massage oil around, because these guys were total freaks, right? They basically love sex so much that they're like, let's do a toxin to make sex feel better. Not saying if you have massage... There's a massage artist out there. What are they called? Masseuse? They're like, what, well, I have massage oil. I'm not a freak, unless you come over, Jason. And I'm like, ugh. But not everyone who owns massage oil is a freak, but every freak owns massage oil. How's that? So they realize if they push on the muscles, the black... Dust. The black flakes will come out of the pores. So they go. This has to be a toxin. It can't have anything to do with the with the meth we're smoking. Let's not stop smoking that meth. Let's continue to smoke meth. But we'll give each other massages at night. And Brittany would lie down, and Tom would crawl on top and give her a back massage. And he could just push, Ugh, work those muscles, and this black unknown substance would come out of her pores. She would do the same to him give him a massage, and she would massage this toxin out of his body. It got to the point, though, where they didn't necessarily have to push on it. Whatever this substance was, it was also heat activated. If they got really hot and sweaty, they'd be outside working, they'd look at their arm, there'd be a black grime coming out of their skin. Taking a hot shower, standing under the water, this black dust would just pour out of them into the drain. Now, obviously, there's something wrong with their bodies, right? So what, what's the worst thing they can do? Let's get someone else involved in this horrible, disgustingness. This apartment complex has a sauna. And we're sitting in the sauna. We got our towels on. <sighs> I'm eating ice cream. I'm <laughs> eating ice cream in the sauna. I got, gotta got eat it quick before it melts. Blah, blah, blah. And Tom and Brittany walk into the sauna. We're like, hey, guys, what's up? Uh, it's, it's been a couple weeks <laughs> since we've seen you. Uh, is everything okay? You... <laughs> You look a little off, and they're like, oh, no, no, we're fine, we're fine. We just come into the sauna, because it's hot in here, and their eyes shift side to side, and we're like, yeah, we know it's hot, and it's nice, but, uh, what's that, what's that smell? And they're like, what, what, it, I don't know, it smelled like that when we came in here. As they would sit in the sauna, this black substance would just come out of them. The sauna opened their pores up enough that they would begin to leak it, it made the sauna have a stench of ammonia. Now, this is a communal sauna, remember? This is a communal sauna. They would use the sauna for an hour at a time, four times a day, if not more. They would just sit in there and sweat and let this toxin come out of their body. Because they knew whatever this was, it shouldn't be inside of them. It shouldn't be inside of them. They wanted to get it out as quickly as possible. It's February 2007. It's been two months since their first hit of meth. And this is their life now. Brittany has lost 20 pounds. Tom has lost 30 pounds. One day, Brittany's sitting in the sauna. She wants this black ooze out of her. That's, that's on her. that's on her calendar for the day. Her blackberry. Ding! Get black goo out. And she's like, oh, I almost forgot. I almost forgot about that disgusting illness inside of me. Brittany goes into the sauna by herself. And she's sitting there. That heavy, hot air surrounding her body she notices something coming out of her skin, which shouldn't be notable, right? That's that's kind of the flavor du jour. But this time, it's not this black substance. It's a white, grayish goo leaking out of her. Before, it would just be black flakes that you could kind of squeeze out. It would be like if your arm was perpetually dirty. This was like Crisco pouring out of her body. Her pores would just open up And this gelatinous ooze. She said tablespoons worth. This wasn't a nice sheen. Didn't look like she just got out of the shower. Or the sauna. This was a slick. Slimy substance. She said it was just coming out of her. Out of everywhere. She said it was like. Quote. Play-Doh through a garlic press. Unquote. This episode sponsored by Play-Doh by the way. She could just see it. Lift up out of her skin, tablespoons worth, just Crisco, (sniffs) coming out of her. She lost eight pounds in one hour in the sauna that day. Now, she thinks that it's the fat coming out of her body. When you lose weight, the fat is secreted through your urine. But remember, she's not able to really urinate. And even then, I don't think the fat's just like, well, I don't have anywhere to go. Woohoo! And they jump out your pores. I think the fat it would cause some medical problems, but I don't think if you put a plug in your pee hole and then said, I'm not eating, uh uh-uh, uh, you would basically just be, you, would, you wouldn't be Play Doh in a garlic press. They're, you might just die. Your kidneys might just stop functioning. But, anyways, she at this point thinks this Crisco, and sponsored by Crisco too, This Crisco greasy substance coming out of my pores is me burning fat. The swelling is even worse now. She'll wake up in the morning and she can feel how bloated she is. Her skin is bruising. Whatever's building up inside of her is pressing so hard against her skin, it's threatening to rip it. It's busting blood vessels. Her head began to swell. The thin layer between her skin and her skull began to fill up with whatever this was. She said if she brushed her hand through her hair, by the time she got to the back of her head, her hair was soaking wet. She could push out this white-gray ooze just right out of her scalp to the point of drenching her hair. Her body was full of it everywhere at all times. On top of that, there's psychological problems going on. She says she would be up for three to four days. That's why I'm thinking they were smoking a lot. Because if you just smoked once in the morning, you're gonna be buzzing for a while. But to do that actual like three to four day meth head thing, you have to keep redosing. She's up for three to four days. Then she said she'd sleep for about an hour and then she'd be good to go. To the point where when she was at work, she had a job this whole time, surprisingly. <laughs> Hopefully she didn't work at a sauna. She had a job at this whole time, and she said she'd be at work. She was customer service and She would be talking to a customer, and the next thing she knew, she'd wake up. She would have, like, micro-sleep. She would fall asleep in a heartbeat and then wake back up. And the customer would be like, what? She's like, oh, he must have noticed I was asleep. Better better brush my hair back. (laughs) How do you keep a job when you're leaking fluid? How do you do that? It must have been, like, a job at... An ice cream shop. It must have been super cold all the time. She's like, oh, you want butterscotch, eh? And She bends over to get the ice cream. goose falling out of her hair into the ice cream. Here you go. Kids are like, yay. Eventually, they go to the sauna. Her and Tom go to the sauna. And someone's standing there and is like, uh-uh-uh. You're banned from the sauna. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And they go, well, it might just be a coincidence. But every time you've been using it an hour a day, four or five times a day, and every time you leave, the next person who would come in would be choked by the smell of ammonia. What? That's not us. Um, ma'am, you smell like ammonia right now. What? Nuh-uh. No, uh No, I don't. They're, they're plugging the guy's nose. See? Take a big whiff. You can't smell anything. They were banned from the sauna, so that was their big way of helping to get this goo out of them. Now, they're restricted to only using the hot showers at their apartment. One day, Brittany is taking a shower alone. That hot, hot water on her skin, and she can push the goo out. Oh, get out. But she falls asleep in the shower. She'd been up too long, and her body just gave up. She actually falls asleep in the shower. And when she wakes up, she's laying there in the bathtub. The hot water had been pouring on her body for who knows how long. And there is a puddle of this gray-white liquid surrounding her body. While she was asleep, it just began pouring out of her, leaking out of wherever it could come out. She turns the water off and weakly gets out of the shower. And that's when she realizes that the position she was in caused all of this Crisco-like fat Play-Doh fluid, this thick white gelatin, to coalesce in her abdomen. Imagine if you had like a bag, because I don't have to give you an imagination thing, but I'm going to anyways, imagine you had a bag of gravy and you held it up by both ends of the bag, how all the gravy would just settle into the middle. She was that bag of gravy. So she gets out and she can feel all the goo that had been in her extremities, in her chest had leaked in to her abdomen And, and it's extremely painful. It's congealed in there. It's all stuck. And she can feel it in her pelvic region as well. She has this intense need to urinate. Whether it was to expel the urine or to simply unplug something. She didn't know. She didn't care. She had to urinate. And she sat there and she pushed and she pushed and she pushed. And then a hard chunk that had congealed in her urethra. Blah. We <laughs> like that sound effect. Comes out of her and splashes into the toilet water. After this shower, and again, we don't know how long she was in the shower for. She doesn't know either. Whatever substance was inside of her was completely melted loose before she could sit in the sauna and would come out of the pores. She could push on it to get more of it out. Now it's coming out of her eyeballs. It's coming out of her ears. It's coming out of her nose. It's coming out of her vagina, but that's that's preferable to where else it's coming out of. She could feel it in her throat. She said sometimes she could spit it out of her mouth. She'd spit out speckles of this fluid. But sometimes it was so thick, she just had to swallow it. She would feel it start clogging up her throat. She'd try to spit. She'd try to cough, but she couldn't. She had to swallow it down. It's no longer limited to her pores. It's now loose in her body, coming out of every single orifice that it can. She's lost a total of 50 pounds since December 31st. It's March. She begins having this delusion because she knows that this is not normal meth behavior. Nobody would ever do meth ever. And You know, the sex really good, but eventually you turn to Play-Doh. No one would ever do meth if this was true. She begins to have this delusion. She believed that her drug dealer wasn't giving them methamphetamines. He was giving them something else. It had the same initial effects of meth, but it was highly addictive and had these horrible body-altering side effects. She believed that the drug dealer would actually sell this meth. and He would smoke it and get addicted to it and couldn't stop using it. She believed that at some point, after enough time had passed, the drug dealer was going to break into their apartment. She imagined herself being chained up in a basement with his past customers. Each of them with a meth pipe being held to their lips, forcing them to inhale. And then the drug dealer would come down each night, and he would scrape the goo off of their skin, dry it out, And sell it as methamphetamine. She believed the liquids and the black dirt and all of that stuff coming out of her body were drugs that were then to be sold to other people. That the drug dealer was actually transforming her into a recreational drug. This delusion haunted her. It was really the only thing she could think of to be rational of anything that's going on. I'm being turned into a drug. But the whole time she doesn't stop smoking. She wakes up, her eyes crusty with goo. She's at work, trying to concentrate, but swallowing tablespoons of an unknown liquid before it can choke her. All of this ends when the drug dealer gets arrested. Before she can score any more meth, she crashes for three days. And apparently the husband didn't really try that hard because when she woke up, Three days later, he goes, I couldn't find any meth. She said that, I know this must sound like meth psychosis, but after I was sober, I was still cleaning this stuff up out of my bathtub. Like, it's been weeks since the last time I used, and I'm still cleaning up my bathroom. I'm looking at it now. I haven't used meth in a while. I can still see the physical proof of this. So this isn't meth psychosis. There were some issues in the story where Tom began physically abusing Brittany. And where Brittany began neglecting their son. Uh, she At one point she says, my son went a whole day, I forgot to feed him. So the house was chaos, where before, it wasn't. And that's how quickly this drug destroyed that life. Let me read you the ending of this story. My husband and I haven't done any drugs at all for four weeks. And things are slowly going back to normal. My son is happy. He has his mother back. And his daddy plays with him again. I'm happy because I'm not so afraid anymore. Not afraid of my husband, or of dying painfully in the near future. We're happy because we've nearly paid all the bills we neglected and have cable TV again. We are happy because we resemble the normal, healthy family we once were. But I still want it. I can't sleep tonight because I want it. I wrote this in all honesty, mostly to help myself. To remind myself why I don't want it. And I still want it. So we don't know if she ever stayed away from methamphetamine. The story was written in 2007 by Unspun was the user's name. But we don't know who wrote this. We don't know what city it took place in. So it's possible, hopefully, right? That she was able to write this out and it reminded her of why she should never do meth again. And she goes back to it. She may be checking that post even today when she gets something in her head goes, Oh, you know, I really liked the energy. The sex was good. She may have to return to this post to remind herself why she should never do meth again. Or she may have never done meth in the first place. This may have been something else. Because there is nothing else in the meth literature that I've ever come across that even comes close to this. It's possible that even if she did want to start smoking meth again, it would not have any of these effects. But there's also another option. That that drug dealer, like all drug dealers do, eventually gets out of jail. And he comes to her apartment when she's alone with a little sample of his drug. Without Tom's knowledge, because she knows how much he loves the happy family dynamic, she begins using again. Just here and there, nothing serious. And then she goes missing. One of 100,000 people that goes missing every year in America. If Britney ever did start smoking that drug dealer supply again, she could be right now, 13 years later, in some basement somewhere, barely alive, a skeleton of the woman she once was. As a man slowly scrapes her skin, her bruised, parchment-like skin, getting every drop of fluid out for his next batch. And while she sits in that basement, she doesn't think about her husband. She doesn't think about her son. She doesn't think about the pain of her skin being pressed against. All she can think about is when will she get another hit of her drug? Because even in the end, she still wants it.